Marco Royce. Daniel Marlon! Wonderful! Fantastic from Royce. Jude Bellingham. That's excellent. Jude Bellingham. This is absolutely brilliant. Jude Bellingham! Absolutely magnificent! Rina. Brilliant from the American. Just like that. Graceful. Sally Hoots down for Anthony Modest. Royce. Not a bad idea! Welcome back to the BVB podcast. My name's Jake. Hanging with always, hanging as always. It's been it's been a it's been a, it's been a little bit, so I'm a little rusty. But hanging out with Carver as always. How are you doing, man? How's it going? I'm doing well. Yeah, despite the U.S. getting knocked out of the World Cup, we still got to see the young lads finally compete after seems like forever. Um, and we're looking like we're getting a lot of team players back into the Dortmund squad too. So. Hopefully the tides are turning in that sense. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. And I will, uh, I guess, just some info for everybody. If if uh, over the next few, I don't know, I don't know how long. Um, if audio sounds a little differently, it probably has the last few episodes. Audios uh, sound a little different than what uh, it has been in the past. Uh, just a little update. I got a new job. I used to work in radio. Uh, Carver and I were able to record in the fancy, nice radio studio. Um, the plan is to still put out high quality content, but in this slight transition phase, I do have a new job. It's just not in radio. Um, audio quality might vary here and there, but the plan is to get it up and running and as high quality as possible, but there will probably be a slight transition phase. Uh, the World Cup break helps a little bit in that, but well, t- tell the, tell the people what you do now though, Jake. All right. New job. Don't be humble. New job is Brag a bit. honestly like dream job scenario. Uh, Carver and I have talked a lot about this team before. So now, now I'm going to come at a slightly more biased basis, but I'm the new social media manager for St. Louis city SC, our new MLS club in St. Louis. So I am pretty pumped about that. It's pretty awesome. You're goddamn right. You are. <laughs> so, uh, we, we will get, we'll get the audio stuff figured out. Uh, so, but just bear with us. If obviously the audio has been, uh, a little different than Carver and I sitting in a fancy studio together, but we will get it, get it high quality again. We promise. So we are doing another USMNT. Um, Carver and I, we, we kind of planned to do USMNT coverage, but then we didn't like sit down and have like a solid plan. And then like holidays happened, and again settle in a new job. And then I think maybe we both kind of realized like, oh, it's nice like having a little bit of a break here. We didn't want to overdo it with USMNT coverage. So, <laughs> um, but we're we're gonna come back and recap. Kind of what happened with USMNT. Not go too in depth, but like look at big picture what happened. Uh, we're going to look ahead a little bit to 2026. But yeah, just another USMNT episode. We do have some Dortmund news. We'll probably talk a little bit about Dortmund players still in the World Cup and then uh, just what's to come a little bit. Um, we are going to do our midseason review episode next week, is the, the plan. Um, so, Carver, real quick, do you want to touch on that? Uh, if anyone hasn't filled out that guide, is that still or the. The survey thing, is that still up? Yeah, the survey's still online, so it's it's pinned to our Twitter. If you haven't yet, go ahead and check it out. It's just we wanted to hear your thoughts on how the season's going so far. Thoughts on the manager, thought on his thoughts on his tactics, his subs, uh, the players themselves, and just your overall thoughts going forward of who you think is going to be here next year. How do you think we're going to compete in all three competitions in the spring? Um, so, yeah, it's been good fun for everyone who's been 
uh, tuning in so far. And I've been, I've been, I've been peeping the replies here and there and seeing uh, what people are saying. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to reveal all the results next week. Yeah. Big part of the mid season review is you, everyone who listens, which, uh, Hopefully we, we say it enough, but like how much we appreciate everyone who listens because it's been awesome. And it's why we're continuing this podcast. So uh, if you want to send your feedback in for that, again, we have it linked on our Twitter at the BVB pod. You can also, of course, find that link in the description of this episode and make sure you do that before next week when we record the episode. We'll start to get a little more uh, active on Twitter. I know Carver's been really good about tweeting d- during the World Cup, uh, but we'll as we get closer to that episode, we'll put out more tweets and everything so uh make sure you check that out and so you can help us out with the episode next week and get a shout out too um and then but let's start before we dive into usmnt i know there's some uh news we just got as of we're recording this today on wednesday we got some news i think just came out today carver you want to jump into that yeah it's not the greatest of news unfortunately it's another health update but not for hilaire this time peter herman the assistant manager or yeah assistant manager to edin terzik at dortmund is leaving the club with immediate effect due to health issues uh, that hasn't been specified or posted online exactly what is going on but herman did have a quote here saying my time at bvb was short but very intense i've come to really appreciate this club the team and the entire environment over the past few months have really enjoyed working with the club that loves and lives football so much unfortunately i won't be able to work for bvb much longer because health always comes first so yet another unfortunate event and another big blow and another big gap in the team, unfortunately. Um, I mean, Hermade, Hermade, Herman, excuse me, has three decades of experience in the Bundesliga. He's, he's been assistant manager. He's been manager of a few clubs. Um, so his expertise and his experience, of course, is going to leave a pretty big gaping hole. But um, Terzik and the board has talked about already looking for a replacement in the coming days and hopefully going to have something announced in the next week. But yeah, for right now, I think we're just going to have to sit tight and hope for the best and obviously hope for the best uh, outcomes for health for Peter Herman as well. I mean, the man's 70 years old. He's and it's it's a grueling job. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough to see that when news like this, when it's related to like health or that kind of stuff, because you, you, you never want to see people go through anything like that. I mean, it, it happens in life, unfortunately. Uh, it's the bad part of life, but it's just it's it hurts when it's it's someone who. Uh, it's like part of this community that we love so much, um, especially so. Um, yeah, so, but it, it is going to be interesting to see maybe how like, the uh, like what someone else can bring to the the team and the coaching staff also moving forward. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, depending on we'll, we'll find out how you're feeling about the coaching staff and everything in our midseason review next week. Um, maybe yeah, maybe people want yeah. some change. Not not that this is the reason we want to see change, but it is going to be interesting to see uh, what what changes and who comes in and how that can shift things around a little bit. Um, but you, let's jump into USMNT. Last time we talked, uh, we had Matt Baker on with us to recap the first game against Wales. A lot has happened since then. Yep. Uh, we played against England, played against Iran, and we went out in the World Cup against the Netherlands. Um, Carver, I'll let you start. Uh, do you want to start England? Do you want to look, just recap it all? How are you feeling yeah, about the World Cup? Let's definitely start with England because I'd love to shit on them a little bit more because what a game. I mean, every single person on the planet knew what the outcome of this game was going to be and pretty much every single person, including myself and a lot of the American fan base, wrong, uh, rightfully so. I mean, I'm, I'm glad, happy to be proven wrong in that fact because, I mean, the U.S. played incredibly well, in my opinion. I mean, for a team that is full of very young, very inexperienced talent um, to go against 
it just be thrown against the wolves or thrown into the wolves. I mean, against a t- side that had 10 starting uh, Premier League players, the only player on that team that wasn't a Premier League player, Jude Bellingham, and it just ran them off the pitch, basically. Not not starting lineup, that that whole squad, Bellingham is the only one who's not in the Premier League in yeah. the entire squad. Insane. And don't forget, too, the last time Jaden Sancho was in the English squad, he was a Dortmund player as well. So <laughs> just I'm looking at you, Jude. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, just completely pinned England in their own third for the majority of the game until like maybe 15 minutes ago or to go in the last 10, 15 minutes. Um, I mean, England were sure they were unimaginative. They were flat. They were uninspired. But I don't want to put too much of that on simply England not being that great or not that good as opposed to just how good the U.S. played. I mean, they were really well drilled. They were well organized. We were completely the opposite of what I just said. We were very imaginative and, and we looked like we had something to prove. Yeah. And I, th- yeah, I think when you, especially when you look at how England has been playing throughout the rest of this tournament, like they've been even in their, their quarter, not quarterfinal, but the 16 round of 16 against Senegal, they still won three Oh and looked fantastic in that game. Like it was a little shaky early on. Senegal had some chances, but England's been playing extremely well in this tournament. And yeah, maybe there's going to be a one-off but I, I don't think it's all because England was poor. I think U.S. Give, well, we're going to talk Burhalter later, but you can give Burhalter credit here with how he set up in this game. Yeah, you can. And and like he, I, I think it was more on how we played than England being poor, like you said in this match. Yeah, and, and just the fact that we made their midfield look pretty much non-existent. I mean. I can count on my hand how many times I've seen Jude Bellingham be that non-existent or that, uh, I mean, just ran out of the game, really. Him and Declan Rice. I mean, those two are massive names. They're both, I mean, the next up-and-coming talents, and they're probably going to be England's double pivot for the next few years minimum, I would imagine. Jude Bellingham easily the next decade. But again, completely pinned them down and looked extremely dominant. Yeah, uh, very unlucky i would say to not get a goal uh, especially when we had just corner after corner after mm-hmm. corner um although i i'll say unlucky with the asterisk that we didn't look too dangerous in a lot of moments throughout this tournament um so maybe that was just us kind of playing how we've been playing um i'd still say unlucky just because we were creating so many chances but then again you know what i mean you know what i'm saying it's just like we we're, we got in dangerous areas a lot. We didn't really create that many good chances, not only in this game, but throughout the tournament. But we, we definitely, it looked like we were the better team in that. And for that reason, I'll say, yeah, maybe we were unlucky to not get a goal and not get that win. I definitely thought we made a lot of good chances, personally. Um, it's just that this team not having a number nine uh, for not even years at this point, but literal decades. And I'm hoping in the next few years that can change because just the way that the culture of the sport is shifting so dramatically in this country. Yeah, it's not like we weren't able to get in those areas like you were saying, but just you look up and you know, Sargent had a lot of great movement off the ball, but he's not someone that can, I guess, really be that great of a finisher. Well, he was earlier in his younger career, but he hasn't produced it at this kind of level yet, even though he's getting there. And and Haji Wright was pretty disappointing as well that entire tournament. Mm-hmm. It goes to show you that PFOC was definitely the right option, and I stand by that. Last thing, too, is just Greg still making some questionable subs late in the game. He brought on Shaq Moore. Um, I can't remember if that was the first or the second time that he brought him on, but after that first time, you know that he's definitely not the right option for another go, and he gave him another go. And for someone who is 
just extremely limiting his chances for Reyna and not giving him an opportunity to shine. I mean, my God, he gave Shaq Moore way too much time on the field, in my opinion. I mean, the fact that Scali didn't even get a sniff. Yeah. It was shocking. That was, I didn't understand that substitution at all. And I mean, this is, this is where we will criticize Greg, I guess. And, but that made no sense to me. And, like I don't know if maybe his thought is Shaq Moore is more like defensive and reliable in that. I don't. I would say no. Just when I'm gonna be that guy who just like poo poos on the MLS uh, and is working for an MLS club. But uh, when you look at this level, I just don't know if Shaq Moore is the right call. Like, and I know like Scally will obviously give you more going forward. Um, so I don't know where that, that mistrust is to not even give him a shout. And that's not only Scally, but like Reyna obviously did not get enough time in this tournament either. Um, but yeah, that was a really weird sub. I didn't understand it because at that point, if you're saying maybe Shaq Moore is more defensively sound at that, in that, like how the game was going, like, do you really just want to hunker down at that point? Like, I, I don't know what his tactics were in that move. And if it was to be more defensively sound, I don't understand why that was a tactic when we were creating more and more chances, especially like towards the end and the later part of the second half, it felt like we were going to get a goal if anything. So why give up on that? Like I, I would rather, I think in going in this game that we were expecting to lose, maybe why not go all out and try to get the win if the outcome might be a loss anyways. That's what I don't understand. Yeah, the whole Shaq Moore thing in general was just confusing. I personally haven't seen much of him play at all, uh, at least since he got to Nashville. I saw, you know, bits and pieces of him in the second division of Spain uh, before that. But just, yeah, really, really puzzled uh, of just the fact that he got two chances there. But anyway, um, going on to Iran, uh, the only chains that we made in that game was Carter Vickers starting, which, you know, I've been a stand of for years now. I mean, the man is... It's completely gets overlooked when it comes to playing for this team. Um, him and Reem, funny enough, it just it's so great, but so shocking that they both started considering that they neither of them really played at all in the last year for the U.S. men's national team, and they probably, it, definitely Reem was not even going to be considered to make the plane ride. And then here, both of them are uh, playing for a team that where you are playing against a team where you have like a must-need win. I mean, you have to go out and get the victory here and get a result. Um, but I mean, Carter Victor is that I, I loved I, for the most part, I thought he did very, very well. I mean, I imagine he was st- uh, picked to start because he can help progress the ball. He plays at a club where they dominate possession in uh, Celtic and even going back through recent seasons or past recent seasons, he was a ball playing defender at clubs during his loan spells away from Spurs. I mean, Jake, I don't know how much you kept up with him whenever he was being loaned out constantly from Spurs, but I mean, at teams like Bournemouth and stuff like that. He was at uh, Swansea, even if I'm not wrong. He was the player on that team that was consistently trying to progress the ball. So him and Reem, I think, were the partnership that um, Perhalter was going for there. But yeah, I mean, besides that, he was a tank in defense. He brought in a little bit more pace than Zimmerman. Uh, overall, I thought he was very solid, and I'm very happy he got his opportunity. It's well-deserved. Yeah, I thought he was great, too. I think after the Wales game, I... I even though Zimmerman made that mistake with the penalty, I was very adamant like him and Reem uh, were still who I thought should start. Um, and we did. We saw them against England, but also what like Cameron Carter Vickers didn't do anything wrong. And I thought he he played great too. Like I think 
either if he would have started earlier, I would have been fine with it too. I just think his performance like definitely deserved the call and to be on this trip. And I'm glad that he did get some time because um, he proved and, and just showed that he, he should be playing and he should be considered or he should have been considered maybe earlier uh, in this. But yeah, it kind of interesting to see maybe this is one of the moments where you can look at, at, at Greg Berhalter and be like, thank you for kind of admitting you're wrong almost like and bringing these guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> and like apologizing yeah. in a way for not yeah, calling was- up Reem before and like accepting like, yeah, these are the guys. Like how crazy is that that we don't see Reem at all and then last minute gets the call and just is is the the starting center back for every He's match. like the guy too. The guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now Carter Vickers is the only center half going into the next World Cup with World Cup experience too, which is going to be huge for him. So I'm I'm very excited to see what he can do in the coming years. I mean, I think he's been proving himself at at these divisions in the championship for a long time now. And I mean it's it's gonna be interesting to see who he's gonna potentially partner with to start in 2026. Do you know how uh how old Carter Vickers is? Carter Vickers? Uh, I probably have twenty four, if okay. not twenty five. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's got a couple more World Cups in him. If Tim Ream is playing at 35, so. <laughs> what, yeah, Tim Ream and Zimmerman both, I, I highly doubt that either of them will make. Definitely not Ream, for sure, but <laughs> no, <laughs> I highly doubt Zimmerman makes the 2026 squad. Yeah, but I and I think uh, Carter Vickers is at a good club now, Celtic, for him. It's like, that's a good level for him to just continue to grow and develop. Obviously, at Spurs, like, he was just loan now, like, loan after loan after loan, and it seems like this is finally a good spot for him to uh, just build and then maybe he will make a step to a Premier League, like back in the Premier League, and and be at a like stable at a club. But this is a, I think, a really good spot for him for the next couple seasons, two or maybe three. Um, but yeah, he's in a really good spot, which is just yeah. gonna be great for development moving forward. Um, and then, man, this game, like, we just controlled this game. It was like Iran just could not; they could hardly get out of their eighteen, but like could hardly cross. Uh, the the halfway line, like it was, it was nuts. Like it just seemed like we we had we had the ball like throughout the entirety of this game, especially early on. They couldn't do anything. We were winning everything back in midfield and intercepting all the passes. Like it was just, I it was surprising that it, like this game only like ended one zero, but it was really good good to watch and really encouraging. And early yeah. on in the game, I was like, well, we're gonna just destroy them. I mean, we were within arguably centimeters of scoring a second. So yeah, I too was very surprised that this was only a one nil game. Um, yes. Second game in a row with really dominating uh, possession. And not only that, but really controlling the game, like you said, you know, dictating the tempo. Um, I think the only time in that game where people start to felt nervy was those last completely unnecessary nine or 10 minutes or whatever it was of added time um, at the end of the game, which I too, like I haven't heard and I haven't seen anything online of why this is, but like everyone else, I'm completely um, clueless as to why there's 10 minute added minutes every half, not only like in the 90th minute, but in the 45th minute as well. So um, yeah, besides those last few minutes in the 90th, I think we looked very sharp and, and very hungry too. Like we're out to get a result and not settle for this. Yeah, it was. And I get like rotating again. This is for Halter in like, improper use of subs like i i get the end where you're just hunkering down especially that late in the game it's like okay let's he puts five at the back let's hunker down let's hold on this lead which is a lot more scary when you have like 10 minute stoppage time um and i i get that rotating those players out but it was it was so scary because they were creating so many chances there was a couple penalty shouts and uh like you almost wish we would have just 
had that defensive or played defensively with the ball, if if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Because we were dominating the game so much with possession, um, and they couldn't get the ball off us, or they couldn't progress with the ball at all. So it's like you wish we would have just played out like that the rest of the game rather than just like sitting back because uh, we almost lost it. There's a couple chances in there. Yeah, and and actually now it's coming to me. It was Shaq Moore's first game against England, and the second game was whenever he came on against Iran at the end, and, and even that was somehow less convincing uh, than his first game. So, yeah, I, I just I don't know how he got another sniff of the field after his first one. I mean, for you know, Burhalter, I guess trying to communicate to the media and the rest of the country that I'm a I'm a coach that picks the hot hand. I mean, it seems a little inconsistent. Well, he says that, and then. Uh... Fat, we'll, we'll close out this game. Uh, we get the 1-0 win, obviously. Second in the group, move on uh, to take on Netherlands. They're in the uh, round of 16. I, I feel like I'm calling that. It's not the round of 16. No, that's kind of, you were right. Yeah, okay. round of 16. All right, cool. That, it seems wrong as I'm saying it. But anyways, taking on Netherlands. As you said, Burhalter likes to pick the guy with a hot hand or hot foot, and he, puts in, he starts Ferreira, who hasn't played uh, since the MLS season ended in... At all. I think for him in October, and he hasn't got a single... He hasn't touched the field in the World Cup yet, and yet he picks Ferreira. Yet, what? What? I what think you kind of, you should be taking these things into account before Qatar. Of okay, say one of our strikers gets a knock, and which was Sargent in that game, and then you play Ferreira, who, like you said, has not played at all, um, very inexperienced, not even at the World Cup level, but still, I mean, that he's a young dude in the MLS, um, and he's obviously probably not going to do much of a good job of trying to hold up the ball well or. Um, make himself available against this low block Iranian team. So very strange choice in that sense. And I think he knew he wasn't going to start right because Wright wasn't playing that well. And it, I don't know if, if, if you kind of know that's going to happen, why wouldn't you go with PFOC to begin with someone who I think would have done a hell of a job, a lot better than uh, Haji and Ferreira for that game. Carver, you got to get over it. PFOC's not here. Get over it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it was, and I don't want to take anything away from Ferreira. I, I feel like he is a good player, and he's, like you said, he's so young, and he has a lot of time to develop and become a, a hopefully, what we need, a great striker in the future. And I think he has the opportunity to go play in Europe in the future. But uh, don't, the, I think the fault here is on Greg, like not giving him any chances before. Like if, if Ferreira would have said started the first game, I probably wouldn't have. I would have been sad because I would have wanted Sargent from the STLs per perspective. Um, but you know, what I mean, I would have. I th kind of. That's who I thought. I thought Ferrer was going to start. I think starting against the Netherlands, the thing that's the worst part about that is that he hadn't even came on as a sub. So why? Like why? Yeah, I don't know. It's just bad. It's not good. And I think that's almost like per Gio Reyna coming on too. Um, I, I liked what he did in this game, but like imagine how much more productive he could have been if he had more than seven minutes on the field in this game. Yeah, or even just more than an hour in the entire tournament. It's on Burhalter to not properly like use his subs and in like give these guys kind of a, a better warm up. Like let Reyna play for twenty minutes, maybe thirty minutes in the first game. We talked about that. Like why you why are you bringing on him on with seven minutes left? And that is in the long run, hurting how they're going to perform later on in the tournament in, in other games because they need they need more on-field time to actually produce. Especially against such a big opposition. Um, 
and Ferreira just—I mean, now that we're going into the Netherlands, I, I just don't imagine him. He's going to be able to do too much against that kind of uh, high-quality level. But also, unlike everyone else, I think with the Netherlands, I mean, Van Hal really did his homework on how to play against this men's national team. I mean, he had a really solid tactical masterclass there, and using a very narrow front three to man mark um, our midfield, and that way he could shut out Adams of this game because. A lot of our ball progression uh, through the midfield comes through Adams, and he's able to kind of pick passes out, of course, be that fireman when needed, which he was terrific at the entire tournament. But we'll get to more of those individual shout-outs in a bit. But he was able to shout out Adams in in that midfield, and the Netherlands were just able to kind of pick us apart. And also, they, he had great wear, awareness of trying to find space behind our fullbacks, too. I mean, Netherlands did a great job of kind of exploiting both of this team's weaknesses of you know, trying to dictate the midfield and get Adams, you know, not involved. And at the same time, whenever they're on the counterattack, there's going to be acres of space behind players like Destin Robinson. I mean, no fault to them that they're obviously big hustlers. Robinson is definitely a hustler and he's got an extremely high work rate so he can track back, but he's also very much an attacking fullback. So when he's making these runs up the field and, you know, high up the field and on the wing, there's just going to be space behind and Zimmerman doesn't really have the pace nor quality to kind of pick those um, attacks apart. So yeah, we got punished. Yeah, I think so. Obviously, we had Christian Pulisic had the chance in the third minute, and obviously the game would have been totally different if, if that would have went in, and and uh, like the Netherlands would have had to change their tactics very early on in the game. Um, so it's so unfortunate that that didn't happen. Um, and I think one thing that was so frustrating about this game was, again, we were getting into dangerous areas, but the quality wasn't there to like to get quality shots mm-hmm. on target. Um, Pulisic had a number of shots, but they were all so poor. Like they were right at the keeper, didn't have a lot of pace on them. Um, and so it's frustrating to see that um, lack of quality. And then in turn, Netherlands scored three goals on like four shots. They were just so clinical. Um, and obviously you can look at the the talent difference. Like all those, all those guys played a very high level and have been for a while. And this is like, I think it was such a uh, a contrast of the just soccer football culture. And like, that's that's how your team, your, mm-hmm. your European team plays, not your team. European team plays just on the, the, like how football is a part of their culture and how they play and know how to play at such a young age. And it's something that obviously the U.S. still has a lot to work on and it's going to be a long time till we get there if we ever get there but that's just this was such a contrast of like quality yeah absolutely players like Depay when they're healthy and when they're playing when he's playing for the Dutch team he's he's top quality man he's one of the best players I think in the world in that sense just strictly in those circumstances but I mean going back to what you're saying earlier I mean these these players have been playing with, with each other for a long time too they've played you know I think in the nation's league semis or even finals um and players like Van Dyke have been in the national team squad for a while. Dumfries, Blind, uh, Klassen, De Jong. It, it, the, you can go down the list. So, I mean, these players knew how to run, you know, certain systems under Van Hal, who's also been there for a very long time. Um, and they just they executed their plan very, very well. Also, just that defensive line is insane and insanely tall and just big dude. So one Ferrer's in there, tiny dude. Um, but then oh, when, say Ferreira. when our, our system is like trying to, I mean, at first, 
we're eventually we were trying to get a lot of crosses in, which or we we started getting some corner kicks, but it's like we almost had no chance with how big that defensive line is and just them in general. Like it was anytime a cross was coming in, I was like, there's no way we're getting ahead on this. Like I, I just had no confidence in that. Just pure physicality. Yeah, you know who could have helped with that? <laughs> there's a player in the Bundesliga actually who is <laughs> having himself a nice vacation right now yeah that it, it, it was it was a disappointing the game against Netherlands I mean of course we would have wanted to continue this party going even further but at some point you know reality's got to hit you of this is the U.S. we're talking about and we're still years if not decades away from really being a competitive team um, although I personally believe this team is going to be I'll say it on the record right now and I've said it for four years now actually back to before 2018 the U.S. men's national team will be ranked in the top 10 FIFA rankings before 2030. You can you can quote me. But we're, it's just, it's not 2030 yet. It's not even 2026 yet. And we still have a long way to go for this team to really kind of grow together, play together, learn, uh, you know, learn each other, learn at, uh, against other opposition that's at such a high and different quality. So a um, lot, of, lot of growing to do. But uh, looking ahead, you know, very excited still. I mean... Yeah, you still don't have a center forward, and that was very apparent in this game. Yeah, I mean, you know how optimistic I like to get, and looking ahead to 2026, I'm just going to say it. Optimistic Jake is is here fully, which uh, I want to dive into in just a second. But first, uh, to wrap up Netherlands' game, obviously at halftime we saw Gio Reyna come on, um, finally. And do, do you think there is any... I mean, this game, like, if we go into the half this game, like, 1-0... I still had some confidence we could get back into it. I, I thought, okay, cool. Hopefully, Burhalter makes some tactical changes because clearly, we're, we're seeing how this game is going. Um, and like, what we've been doing isn't working. They're sitting back, so we need to change something. So I was optimistic that maybe Greg would make a change to make something happen. And then the fact that we go two zero right at that right at the half is just like devastating. <laughs> like. Pretty much all hope was lost for me at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at least Greg's, you know, reacted in this sense. Um, I mean, against Wales, he was just kind of sitting there in the last, in the first like 15, 20 minutes of the second half going like, wow, I had no idea they'd come out like this. So, you know, he's actually trying to be a little bit more proactive in that sense and make changes early on and not in the 65th, 70th minute. Um, but it's going to be, it's obviously going to be really hard for Reina to grow into this game. The dude's had seven minutes before this um in the world cup so i mean we can't also just expect them to be like oh, okay finally there's reina go score a hat trick but i mean it, it, it was i think it was always going to be a tough hill to climb it's also the mentality of the team too it's it's a mountain to climb as a whole so yeah it was, it was disappointing that reina couldn't really get himself involved too much but there's not much you can really expect when someone has such little time to implement their style of play into the game yeah and i don't think that change is enough. It seemed like, yeah, Reyna went on, but it was still kind of the same thing. Like the, the same, we were still trying mm -hmm. to play the same style. So it's like, what really can you expect? Like you need to scrap your whole game plan. You can't just put Geo in there and let him like, or, or like put all that on him. Be like, all right, Gio, like you said, all right, Geo's in. Let Cool. Let's, it's going to work now. Like, I think you have to, at that point, you have to change tactics. And I don't think that's, what happened all he did was put geo on that's that's fair that's fair he he wasn't really i guess taking note of that of how van hall was doing his homework i mean all three goals were i'm not going to say identical but sure as hell very similar 
and the players should have reacted as well and made that let not let that happen again. It was it was it was identical for two of those goals of you know coming down the wing and then instead of crossing it in, just kind of setting the low driven pass at the top of the box for Blend or whoever to hit it and uh, just completely flat footed and defending there. So that was that was a bit concerning and it, that should have been addressed. You're right. I mean, okay, so do you want to, is there any, like, overall from these games? I mean, we kind of touched on a lot of it, and a lot of it's, I think, our feelings about Greg, and I think at this point people probably know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I mean, it's it's obviously, again, a very young and experienced team, but I, I was impressed. Like I said, this team is of young, a core group of young players has been growing together since, you know, 2018, and we haven't really been able to see them play much. I think in 2019, the U S men's national team played like three games, if I'm not wrong, a 19 or 2020, I forget. Um, so it just, it, this was finally an opportunity to see them compete. And I was impressed. I think they also impressed the the vast majority of the world. I mean, plenty of English pundits, plenty of pundits in general and, and different countries were impressed with our squad and also impressed with impressed with a few different individuals. I mean, if you want to go down that list, Adams is the first one that comes to mind for me. I mean, I know he just moved to Leeds, but I mean, he's, he was, he was fantastic. Yeah. I think he was the, like the player of the, he he was the top player of the, for the U S whole tournament. Like if, if I, a, I agree, I think he was the player of our tournament. There's yep. a title for that. He, he gets it. The man of the tournament for us. Like he, he gets it. He was incredible. Again, yeah. We didn't give him enough credit. Uh, probably should have in that, in that England game, like talking about the England game. He was, yeah, bossing it. Well, I was just, I mean, I, I, I touched on how he was ex- really uh, covered really heavily against Netherlands. But yeah, he was doing exactly what I was saying earlier against England, which he was being the one that could drive and progress our uh, attacks. And again, he was just fantastic with his defending and putting out fires left and right. And also being a great leader on top of that. Um, I said for years now, I don't think Pulisic should be captain. And I thought it would be McKenney. A few friends and I thought it would be, you know, he would be that guy. But Adams has happily proved me wrong in that sense. And I think he's uh, done his job as as a leader on this team. Yeah, and maybe we'll even see him uh, captain in 2026. So I want to jump into uh, this list that USMNT only put out, um, which is really, again, I'm optimistic. I'm excited. This is the kind of stuff that gets me hyped. Because as you said, I, I think it was... Although disappointing results, uh, maybe, but I, I think it was still, I was still impressed with how we played, and I, I think we ended up doing better than what I expected. I mean, we we didn't lose in the group stages. Um, yeah, we didn't score as many as we. No, we we exceeded a lot yeah. of my expectations. Yeah, we didn't score as as much as I wanted to, or we needed to. But I to to group stage. Like heart, like only conceding one goal, which was off a of PK, and um, and and no losses. Like I thought that was fantastic. I think overall, I think I'm happy with how the team played. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of things Greg did, but I'm I'm happy and especially optimistic looking at this list. Um, for it's players' ages in 2026, and I know we talked about probably pre USMNT coverage, or I don't know if I remember was the Wales game Wales game, but I talked about Yedlin. Like it's. Yedlin's probably a good squad player because he has some World Cup experience. But going into 2026, mm-hmm. in North America, we have Christian Pulisic, who will, will be 28. Tyler Adams, 27. Gio Reyna is going to be 24. Weston is going to be 28. Yunus Musa, 24. 
Sergini Dest, 26. Tim Weah, 26. Brendan Aronson, 26, plus younger Aronson, who's probably going to be making a mark in this USMNT game. His team is, I think, will be 22 or something like that. I don't remember. I think he's 19 now, so maybe 22 or 23. Uh, Chris Richards, 26. Anthony Robinson, 29. Joe Scally, 23. And Cameron Carter-Vickers, 28. I know I, mm-hmm. I added the other uh, Aronson brother in there, but everyone else... That's who was on this roster this year and will be, that's how old they will be in 26. So still really good, like age in their prime, um, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, yeah. all hitting their prime. And, and I, I wanted to touch on a few more that just stood out to me in this tournament. And one of them you mentioned already was Robinson. Uh, a handful of pundits I saw online saying, you know, a top club should sign him. I mean, he is a, he's a class fullback. And, and I've said that for years too. I mean, watching him at Fulham uh, before this season too, I, I think he's, He's definitely got the quality. Going back to even before 2018, I was like, we do not have a left back right now, and yet we're still not playing Anthony Robinson for some reason. And uh, now that he's finally been starting to get those chances in recent years, it looks like he's just that that role is his. So I'm very impressed with him in this tournament. Uh, Matt Turner, I mean, he took his opportunity and proved that he was the right choice as our number one for this tournament. Wasn't tested much, but rose to the occasion was when he was. Um, I have a few more, but did you want to touch on any of those two? Um, Robinson, I did see some links to Newcastle today, and I saw some people Newcastle, with, yeah. with mixed feelings saying he should stay with Fulham over Newcastle, but Eddie Howe's been doing a crazy good job at Newcastle. I don't love Newcastle as a club, um, but Eddie Howe has them just like cracking, and I think that would be a good move. I also wouldn't hate seeing him at like stay at Fulham for the rest of this year and then maybe making a move next year. Uh, but I did see those links. Yeah, he's great. The the sad thing is Newcastle are in third, by the way. Yeah, no, they're they're flying. And like I said, Eddie Howe's like, and I mean, they I know they have new owners and new investment, and it's a lot of like money. <laughs> they're basically owned by an entire country. But I, I think how Eddie Howe is like playing that team, like it would be a, a good move. But one hindrance to, I mean, us not having a left back, like I think this hindered Robinson. Is like I think at the end of the like you just he was so tired after games and because we didn't have a we didn't even have another left back to come in like we had Joe Scally but he plays on the right mostly um, and I know Des can mm-hmm. play both sides but he's starting on the right so like we we literally didn't have a a backup left back in this entire tournament which means Robinson had to play a ton which ended up probably hurting uh, in the later moments of of probably those last couple games. Uh, definitely need help. Besides him, though, thankfully, and then by 2026, we will have other options. I mean, if, if I'm not wrong, you know, yeah, Caleb Wiley is a, a 17-year-old left back for Atlanta United, and he's played, I mean, at least, I want to say at least 20, 25 games in the MLS this year. So he's already uh, proving himself to be someone who can maybe compete and be have a future in this squad. Um, I thought George Bellow was going to be that person also whenever he made his move to Bielefeld, but I've been keeping up with him and he doesn't play much at all, unfortunately. But I mean, Bellow's only 20, so I I highly uh, imagine he's going to, you know, maybe move if he doesn't continue to have any time on the pitch. But thankfully, that position is going to, looks like it's going to actually have some depth in the coming years, is what I'm trying to say. Unlike the striker position, which I think that's still a very big question mark. Another option, I've seen this guy play a bit, and I, I think there's been some links with maybe him moving uh, overseas. Eventually, really young guy who plays for Red, New York Red Bulls, uh, Tolkien. He's like a homegrown guy, and I I think he plays left back, so that is... But yeah, hopefully the future 
will bring uh, a few more options to the left back position. Um, another player just stand out who I thought, cause I said, I think when you and Matt and I talked after the Wales game is like Haji, right? I, I've always said he's kind of been a mystery to me just cause I don't watch him, um, enough. I don't watch him week in and week out. Um, but I thought he, he had some really good moments through this game, obviously, or through this world cup, obviously he had the goal, uh, against Wales to kick off our campaign. But I just think every time I see him, he like excites me and I always feel like he, He's going to create something, uh, like create a good moment and a good chance. So he's a player who I thought deserves maybe some praise. Uh, maybe you can't look at the Netherlands game, but I thought he had some really good moments throughout this tournament too. Interesting. Okay. He was not on my list personally. I thought he was kind of a it's just extra tall body and a kind of a waste of a spot on the roster. Um, I thought there were some other options. Like, I mean, Pepe was someone who was picking up for him recently. And even though PFOC, has, his form has been suffering, um, I think he could have offered a lot more in those said moments that you were talking about. Two more players here, and then I'll just wrap up with the first one, which is Musa. Um, I mean, he played fantastic for the most part, and there's a lot of big clubs that are really interested in him. Teams that desperately need a midfielder just like him. And, and you know, I don't think it's too crazy to think that Liverpool could be interested in him, given the style of play that they have, given the lack of center midfielders that they have that um, are young. I know they have a few, but also, they have a lot of aging uh, center midfielders, so I think he could slot in there. Um, but I also want him to get time, of course, so I think he could also just you know, weigh out his options and take his career choice seriously where he wants to go next because Musa is a top talent and he should not be wasted in these coming years before 2026. And then lastly was Reim. We, I mean, we have to talk about Reim, of course. And we had two St. Louis people on this squad for going to guitar, and just Reim just completely bossing our defense and, and being that leader in the back that can, uh, you know, help our defense stay organized. He's got the experience. He's got the experience at a top level. Uh, he's also a ball playing defender. I mean, you, like you were saying, look over, or try not to look too much of the Netherlands game, probably the same for Reem. He wasn't that great. Uh, and he gave, I think he gave the ball away or possession away three times in a matter of minutes in the opening minutes of the Netherlands game. But besides that, in the group stage, he was phenomenal in my opinion. Yeah, and on I will point out one positive in the Netherlands game about Reem. Um there there was one, I think it was it was kind of a maybe it was a long ball over the top and it looked like we were kind of caught out like cuz Robinson was way down the line and it, it was like a foot race uh between Reem and I remember their their striker. I do remember that, yeah. And I I was I was concerned cuz like okay, this is where we see this is where people are going to call out Reem cuz he doesn't have the speed. But he he did he, he got there. Pace. He he got there and he made the stop. He, I loved he, how he called off Turner. Like he, <laughs> he called off Turner. Like no, I got it. But like, he had like another ten yards to run after that. So I was looking at Turner and then I was looking at Ray. Like okay, bet you you got him. And he kept sprinting and he was really not making up too much ground. And I was like, oh shit. I think we we might have got fortunate. <laughs> yeah, he off did a, eventually just barely got there. I think we got fortunate off like maybe a bad touch, but hey, it it worked out. He got there. He made the block. Uh, the other defenders and midfielders came in, and yeah, I was I was very concerned though, and I was like, oh no, this is this is the moment where everyone's gonna yell about him, but he 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 pulled it off, so I was happy about that. Yeah, he stepped up to the plate huge. Reem was very impressive in this tournament, and and that was pretty much. I mean, other people of course had moments. McKenney had moments. Pulisic had moments. Des definitely had moments too. But those are the players that I'm like, wow. They, they were really impressive all around for the most part. 
Yeah, I, I was happy to see Des. I think there was an interview before the game, but like just hit, like he had some some really good moments too in the Netherlands game specifically. There was that one where he like blew past probably four or five defenders, um, just and like got a shot off. Um, ended up being saved, but for him to play against his like his real like home country. Uh, was a really cool opportunity for him. And I think he said before the match, like, this is the most important game he's ever played in, which was really cool for him to just show his his uh, his abilities against them. Obviously, he's a USMNT guy now, and we love him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad that he kind of got to show that and kind of stick it to him a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, so moving on, like we said, we, we got a lot of experience for the next World Cup, which is exciting. So quit. we don't have to... I think people know how we feel about Burhalter. I... Don't think he makes the right decisions. Um, I I heard some like pundits say, "Oh, you got to give credit for Berhalter for his like opening game tactics and his starting lineup." I'm like, this lineup, the starting lineup picks itself. Like, there the only question mark is like, why aren't you starting Gio Reyna or maybe Brendan Aronson deserves deserves this shout? Um, but but. Those are two wide players, and obviously we have Pulisic and, and Wea, and like those guys could maybe be interchangeable with with uh, Reyna and Aronson. But besides that, like the rest of this lineup picks itself. Striker is like up in the air, whoever you put in there, whatever, because we don't have one. Um, so it's like I don't really want to give Berhalter credit for picking a great starting eleven every time because like what are your options really? Um, and I just I don't like the decisions he made with subs. Um, he set up against England well, but I just. Mm-hmm. I guess right, coming back to the question, is Burr Halter the guy for 2026? 2026. Oh, I, I, I'm going to say no at the moment, just because that's so much time in between now and then, not strictly because, you know, right now is, is he someone that could lead the team? Because I, I do think he, he can be, he definitely has shown it. And I mean, he's done tremendous work with recruitment as well. I cannot, I cannot discredit him whatsoever in that sense of, I mean, look how many dual nationals, uh, close to a dozen now, uh, in the last few years that have chosen the U.S. And I think a lot of them have said strictly because of the way Burhalter approached them and how he communicates with them and how he wants to implement them into the system, into the squad. And, you know, I think he promotes a lot of brotherhood within the team, too, and making the players that have a lot of caps with the team go and sit with the younger guys, go and sit with the newer guys. And that shows that he is clearly a good coach. But when it comes to being like a football manager and, and yeah, is he there yet? I don't, I mean, I don't think so. Again, it's pretty uh, tactically incompetent at times and yeah, very questionable subs too. Uh, the, the second half against Wales was, is, was extremely eye opening in that sense. Um, and there was a headline that came out today for or a little article from ESPN. I didn't read it because people were saying the headline was so misleading, but I think there's some pre- preliminary negotiations going on between us soccer and him for a negotiation, but he doesn't know what he wants to do yet himself. I think he is potentially looking at opening the door to Europe, but he's not sure yet. But um, I think right now we still need to weigh out our options and look for an actual decent coach to take over for him. Because what I don't want to happen is fire him and then put in someone that's going to be worse. Because I think a lot of the names that have been thrown out so far in the past like few days, it's been like, oh God, no, no. Is there... Anyone, and I'm putting you on the spot because I think before we started recording, I was like, there's no one I have in mind to take over. But is there anyone you... Uh, like, no, I, 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 can't think, I can't think of one that would take over right now and do a better job, to be honest with you, that's available and feasible. 
I wouldn't be mad at Terundolo. I don't know if he's available. I don't know if he wants it. I don't know if they're going to offer it to him, but I just show some love to Steve Terundolo, who won MLS Cup with L- LAFC on his first season when people were doubting him. It's not my like official backing or shout. I don't really know, but if if they picked him, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Aim. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm just I'm excited for the future in general. I mean, I think there are there are still some legitimate talks about the U.S. competing in the Copa America next year. So, um, you know, who knows? I think I think the ceiling is is very high for this young, talented squad. Thoughts on we touch on we'll touch on the uh, Dortmund players still in the World Cup, um, Jude Bellingham and Rafa Guerrero. But I mean, what are your thoughts on the? Do you have any like overall thoughts on the World Cup, how it's been so far? We don't need to talk about all our uh, German nationals because that wasn't a great showing for them. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother episode is discussing the German national team, and we would need to. I would love to get someone else on for that. But well, I was gonna say we can. We can leave those episodes to Stefan from the Yellow Wall and yeah. Manu from Gig Impression. They they are I think I know Manu did Gig Impression. They talked a lot about that. So maybe just go listen to those episodes because yeah, exactly, exactly. We support the boys around here. Um, I mean, Jude. Besides the game against the U.S., I, I think Jude has obviously been phenomenal. People have you know watched him play pretty much his whole tournament. I would imagine any fans of Dortmund are obviously English fans as well. Um, I forgot who tweeted it, but I retweeted it on our page a few days back, but I would just wish to God we could watch a single football match and not talk about transfer market and stocks. And because I think like a handful of like big sources were like, as Jude was playing in these games, like, man, you know, every club's going to want him and talking about his price and everything. And it's just like, God, can we just leave this shit <laughs> elsewhere and just watch a game and just enjoy the sport, please forgot and enjoy and appreciate the talent rather than talking about these price tags all the goddamn time Guerrero haven't seen two I mean I, he's had some decent moments of course he had a really good goal in the knockout stage the other day um, but I haven't seen him I guess I haven't personally watched him play too much for Portugal not that he hasn't but I just haven't personally seen him yeah I haven't watched too much of Portugal uh, mainly because I'm like I one I just I don't like Ronaldo and I did see uh, that they <laughs> In in the game that Rafa scored, yeah, I think it was yesterday, as of we're recording on on Wednesday. Uh, who mm-hmm. I forget the guy that they brought in, but he's a young dude, hasn't played much for the national team. Come starts over Ronaldo and gets a hat trick, and I love to see it. I love it. Yeah, Gonzalo Ramos, he's the never ending revolving door of Benfica, making great strikers in the last I don't know how many years now, but. Yeah, I mean, he looked fantastic. That first finish of his was on, in the, in the opening minutes of that game, was unreal against Switzerland. I mean, how he found the back of the net is beyond me. Yeah, I mean, at, people have said in the last like year or so that, you know, Ronaldo needs to kind of have some self-awareness here and be like, am I the person that should be leading the front line in this team anymore? Yeah, and then um, I, I do want to touch, I mean, we talked about Jude, but um, the last game, did they play Senegal? I think I said it earlier. I think that they played Senegal. They won 3-0. Yes. Jude was very much involved in like created the first two goals at least if i remember correctly he got the assist on the first goal the second goal started from a, a jude pass uh just very much involved in the every aspect of of that game and other games like you said besides um the u.s game like he's been looking great which is which is i don't know exciting and also as a a tottenham fan too seeing jude and harry kane link up was just like magical i liked it i liked it a lot I mean, he's he's undroppable for this English team already. I mean, again, 
we mentioned already, but he is the only non-Premier League player in this squad, and he is undroppable. I mean, it goes to show you how absolute just class this kid is. And again, a kid. He's 19. Yeah. So uh, just to wrap up World Cup stuff, give this schedule and the games upcoming. Uh, just so you know, just just because. I always, I always open the schedule like day of. I was like, who's playing today? I don't really know, but l- let's see. Uh, Croatia and Brazil. Uh, I cannot. Wow. Croatia and Brazil. Uh, Friday morning, 9 a.m. Central Time. We're in St. Louis, so Central Time. Uh, Netherlands, Argentina at 1 p.m. Central Time. Then on Saturday, Morocco versus Portugal, 9 a.m. Saturday morning. And then England versus France, Saturday at 1 p.m. Central Time. Really exciting games coming up. I'm really looking forward to it. It's been a great... Yeah, there is. I know a lot of mixed feelings, especially political issues and everything, but that aside, it's been some exciting... And I don't want to like try to not shed light on that. Um, like Fox, the Fox broadcast just doesn't talk about any, any of those issues. Um, and I'll, I'll just give a plug for the uh, Grant Wall and his uh, Football with Grant Wall podcast because he's like got detained for like wearing a shirt with a rainbow on it, uh, heading into a match. And then he also got pulled aside for another situation. So if you want to hear more about that and real stuff that's going on on the ground to just reporters and media and just people in general in Qatar, uh, it's not great. And I don't like that Fox, the Fox broadcasts are just kind of like only talking about the soccer. Uh, we don't need to get into a lot of it, but obviously like human rights are almost non-existent <laughs> for a lot of people in Qatar. And that's not great. So I just want to, Push that out there before I just praise this World Cup. Uh, the soccer has been exciting, but obviously Qatar sucks. Yeah. <laughs> just keep it simple. <laughs> um, but besides that, Carver, do you have anything else? Uh, is there any other like Dortmund updates you want to touch on real quick or or just next week midseason review? Uh, yeah, next week midseason review. One last thing that I don't know. I this is just purely speculation, everyone, but I just found this very interesting in the last few hours, and maybe I just went over my head and didn't realize it, but Jaden Sancho in the last few days has deleted everything off of his Instagram, including his Avi, and the only thing he has on his Instagram now are two tagged photos, one with Royce and one in front of the yellow wall. I don't. I, I know Manu did a, a piece on it, actually, that I just retweeted today, um, but I don't know. That just sparked my interest. I was like, huh. Weird. Interesting. Uh, it is. Now I'm intrigued. <laughs> He's coming back in January. I mean, there's, yeah, it, it, <laughs> in January. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll have a link to that, uh, that video from Manu in the description of this episode. If you, and again, it's on our Twitter at the BVB pod. Uh, but I think that does it for this episode. Carver, we keep, we, I don't know if it's lack of discipline um, I just like talking with you. That's why we do this podcast every week. Uh, but we said this was going to be a short episode and it's probably be edited down a little bit, but as of the recording just hit an hour, probably be a little shorter that, that the real episode will be shorter than that, but we went a little longer than we planned, but Hey, it's so I, I like hanging out and talking soccer with you. So it's all good. Ditto. And thank you for everyone who stuck around for this long. And if you haven't already, again, mid season review, fill out that form. Uh, that Google Doc, which is linked in the description of this episode. And we will be back next week. We'll see you later. Peace.